This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you for another week uh, here on Healthy Rounds. As typical, we're dealing with the coronavirus now, and, and it's interesting because over the course of these past weeks, we've become we've all become familiar with a lot of new terms um, from public health principles, things that we never thought we'd have to learn and understand. So one of the goals really here is to introduce you to those terms and really enable you to work with that. You know, the first mention of coronavirus on this show was on February 29th, and it's when people were comparing it to the flu. And we wanted to make a point to everyone that it's not the flu, and we really need to uh, pay close attention to it. And certainly that has been the case. So it's really since March 14th, though, We've done 10 consecutive shows on this topic, and it's been important because we get so many questions, and it's a pleasure to really answer your questions and help get you through this. So our goal is really to answer your questions, uh, explain a lot of these new terms, and we like interviewing local experts. Uh, Today's show is no exception to that. We're going to be interviewing Dr. Latha Dulipsing, who will be calling in. Since this show is done from my home, she will be calling in. And we're going to be talking about something pretty exciting, a clinical trial for convalescent serum. And basically, it is a treatment for coronavirus that is going to be starting at St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center. So we're going to be talking with Dr. Dulip Singh about that. Our overall goal here is to really arm all of our listeners with the knowledge you're going to need so that we can make this never happen again. The other thing we want to make you aware of is that there are a lot of charlatans out there. People are starting to fall prey to false promises. Um, There are tests on the Internet that guarantee that they could test you for COVID-19. There are even folks out there hustling snake oil. Now, this is no different than the past. Whenever there's an opportunity and people smell an opportunity and fear in the population, they're going to try and capitalize on it. Don't fall prey to this. There are plenty of resources, including me, and you could reach me by email at info at alessimd.com 24-7. And I enjoy getting your emails. The emails have been good. And we're going to go over some of those questions while we take live questions in the second half of our program today. Uh, I'll let you write down the numbers now. 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. And as I said, info at alessimd.com. Those questions will be coming right up on my screen and I could address those as well on the air. 
uh, as since we're doing this remotely, uh, one of the new technology things is when you call in, give a question, we'll let you explain your question or two questions if you have them. And then uh, Mike Olko is going to disconnect you and I will answer the phone so that we're not talking over each other. One of the things we also like to do is this day in medicine. April 11th, 1755 is uh, when Dr. James Parkinson was born. He's an English surgeon. In 1817, he wrote an essay on the shaking palsy. And this was the first written description of what became known as Parkinson's disease. It's important because we see so much more of Parkinson's disease these days, primarily because we're aging more. And it is a chemical imbalance in the brain where the brain is not producing enough dopamine and it impedes movement. So the symptoms of Parkinson's disease, Parkinson's disease are basically a shaking tremor, what we call a resting tremor, slow movements or bradykinesia, cogwheeling rigidity where the muscles and joints become very stiff, and postural instability, frequent falls. And that has really become the hallmark of Parkinson's disease. So we remember Dr. Parkinson was born in 1755. I want to touch on some of the statistics we're dealing with with coronavirus. Um, these are the latest statistics in Connecticut. 10,538 people have been diagnosed and 448 uh, people have passed away. Uh, globally, there are now 1,684,833 cases with over 102 people passing on. In the United States, over half a million people, 505,000 people have been diagnosed and 18,771 18, have passed away. We're constantly reminded of the statistics in New York, where this week, one day, 799 people passed away related to the coronavirus. But there are so many things we don't know. Matter of fact, I think it's appropriate to say we don't know what we don't know about this virus yet. For example, we haven't done widespread testing. It's still hard to get a test here in Connecticut. We're hearing about this around the country, but here in Connecticut, unless you're having symptoms and it has been prescribed, you really can't get tested for the coronavirus. I hear people telling us all the time, well, there are plenty of tests available. There are new machines available. I happen to be on a con machine, the Abbott 2000. Everybody has an Abbott 2000. Dr. Burks went on and on, you know, to just get them going, and you could turn out 80,000 tests a day or some ridiculous number. What was interesting on the conference call I was on, the subject came up. Do we have an Abbott 2000? And the answer was yes, but no one can get the reagents to use the equipment. So there are so many disconnects as we go through this that we need to be mindful of that. Until we get adequate testing to see who has had it, because we're introduced to another new term, right? The asymptomatic carrier. Someone who is not having symptoms, but yet can be transmitting disease. Also, 
there are those who are asymptomatic, had the problem, and now have antibodies to that. And we're going to be talking more about antibodies and convalescent serum with my guest, Dr. Dulip Singh. The other thing that's come up a great deal is the chloroquine, hydrochloroquine, azithromycin treatment protocols and how they are being used and the importance of doing studies so that we know what works and what doesn't. So we're going to take a short break now, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Latha Dulipsine. She is the Director for Diabetes and Metabolic Care at St. Francis Hospital. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. Phone numbers here, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. My guest today is Dr. Latha Dulipsing. Dr. Dulipsing is director of the Center for Diabetes and Metabolic Care at St. Francis Hospital. She's been a frequent guest on our program before. Latha, welcome to the show. Well, I just wanted to get started a little bit with going right to what you do most, and that is managing diabetes. We keep hearing that diabetes is a comorbidity, actually, not just with coronavirus, but we hear about it all the time. Why are diabetics always put in that category of a comorbidity? So, um, in general, diabetes is a chronic disease, and uh, because of that, uh, people tend to have uh, slightly decreased immunity compared to a very healthy individual. But uh, in particular, uh, for coronavirus, uh, there is some speculation against, uh, around the fact that uh, uh, maybe people with diabetes tend to upregulate an enzyme called angiotensin-converting enzyme, which uh, seems to be uh, uh, a, a way that the virus seems to transport itself. So uh, most um, diabetics tend to have uh, uh, higher levels of these enzymes, which is why we uh, uh, sometimes treat them with uh, uh, ACE inhibitors or angiotensin converting inhibitors to kind of uh, downregulate it. So this is just speculation and some thought, thought around it. There still needs to be more evidence to point in that direction. So one of the terms I guess a lot of people are becoming familiar with is the word antibody and yeah. what is an antibody. And I think that's so important going forward if we're going to manage coronavirus. Can you explain to our listener listeners what an antibody is? So basically, any uh, foreign bo- uh, object that gets into your body, being a bacteria, virus, some kind of infection, or even a foreign body, is considered an antigen. And then what your body does is mount the response to fight it off. And that's where those antibodies come in. So it's our body's mechanism to fight off a foreign object, substance, or uh, infection. So we're born with antibodies, but then your body develops more antibodies as you go on in life? As you're exposed to certain antigens, yes, you develop antibodies to it. Okay, we're back. Uh, we had a little bit of technical difficulty. Uh, we have Dr. Dulip Singh still on the line. Late, we were talking a little bit about antibodies and developing antibodies. But uh, specifically, how can that help us with respect to the coronavirus? So antibodies being given uh, uh, to treat various infections is, uh, is considered passive immunity, and this has been in place since uh, uh, the 1890s. 
what happens is, uh, you know, when, uh, uh, when we don't have an active vaccination, this is just yet another me mechanism to treat an acute phase of an infection. So you're taking um, antibodies from individuals who've already recovered from an infection and then giving it to those individuals who are critically ill at this current point to see if, they, if it would help uh, fight off the infection. This has been tried um, uh, and uh, was quite uh, uh, successful with uh, other viral infections like SARS, MERS, um, and H1N1, and also uh, tried in Ebola. It is not a proven or a you know, uh, 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 confirmed therapy, but it has been tried and found to be successful. Recently, there was a publication from uh, China uh, which showed that um, the convalescent uh, plasma, which contained these antibodies, was beneficial in critically ill individuals. And uh, so there's been a lot of clinical trials that are happening in the United States and expanded access programs. At the Trinity House of New England, we're very lucky to have got FDA approval to conduct a phase two trial using convalescent plasma for the treatment of uh, critically ill patients with COVID-19. Letha, it almost sounds like we're going back to the Stone Age, taking blood from somebody and giving it to somebody else with the hope of fighting off a disease. Um, but it sounds like it's effective. So how would a clinical trial work from your standpoint? So the way we are looking is we are just um, uh, in studying it in a, a small group of individuals to study the safety and efficacy. Like I said, this is not a proven or an approved treatment option, but certainly seems very promising based on the results from other viral infections and these two papers that came out of China recently. So um, uh, the way you, uh, you know, while uh, uh, the other experts are working on uh, developing a vaccination, which may take, uh, you know, anywhere from 12 months to 18 months to develop, we are looking at a lot of other treatment options like uh, antivirals, um, um, uh, you know, other, other medications that have been approved for other treatment options that have been tried for off-label use, just like some of the ones that you mentioned on air earlier. So um, this is just yet another option of using passive immunity and seeing if it will make a difference. So a couple of things, I guess. One of the things is it's a treatment, but it's not a vaccine. From So from what I understand about convalescent plasma, just because someone gets it doesn't mean that they are immune, they will have now immunity to the coronavirus. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. We are not too sure how long this will last. It will probably be, uh, it's just like an aid to fight off the uh, uh, virus with somebody else's antibodies. So it, it's just a short term and it's for a, a period of time and it will help them uh, recover. But if there is no um, uh, uh, guarantee that they will not get the virus again or uh, this will give them immunity like a vaccination. So if someone wanted to participate in a trial like this, first of all, I guess we would have to know that they had the coronavirus and you would have to be able to test their, them for antibodies. Is there a way of testing them for antibodies that's accurate right now? Uh, there are a couple of labs that are being developed to test those antibodies, which I think Dr. Fauci mentioned on air uh, uh, yesterday, but we are also working with some research labs uh, to uh, 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 test the antibodies, um, uh, both, you know, the IgG and some neutralizing antibodies. And are there any specific group of patients you're going to be trying this in? For example, will it be primarily people who are gravely ill or people with mild disease? Um, how are you going about your study? 
So our study is um, going to be treating individuals who are moderately or severely ill with coronavirus who are hospitalized. And we hope to get uh, donor plasma from individuals who uh, originally tested positive, but you know, we need a confirmed positive test, but also should be symptom-free for at least two weeks and should be currently COVID negative, which we will be testing along with the antibodies when we screen them. And what would be required of someone who is willing to donate, um, these survivors of coronavirus who want to donate? Do they just donate blood uh, periodically, just once? How does this happen? So, so there are two ways. You can either collect whole blood and get the plasma or do the apheresis and collect the plasma, uh, which is just a little better where you're putting all the uh, cells back into the body and not taking that out as opposed to taking the whole blood. So there are a couple of ways of doing it. And, um, uh, you know, um, we need to work with the blood bank to make sure that we uh, 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 test and make sure that um, uh, they do not have any other communicable diseases. It's, you know, just like with any blood product, it's not a quick step process where you just take it and give it to somebody else. There's a lot of tests involved around that as well. But I think it's important to note that if you are a donor and you want to participate in a study like this, there's really no risk. There's no danger to you. It's not like you're getting a drug or anything like that. You're just giving a blood donation that may treat somebody and save somebody's life. Um, so absolutely, it, it, absolutely. Uh, but there are, you know, as with any blood donations, there can be minor to moderate risk of, uh, uh, you know, like needle stick injuries, maybe a transfusion, uh, you know, somebody's sure. uh, 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 infection. So there are some risks. Nothing comes without a risk. But it's very mild, like you said, mild and moderate in comparison it's, to uh, other modalities that are available. Well, Latham, thank you very much for all this information. And as soon as you get the information on how people can sign up, I'll be sure to let people know that on the program. Thank you for all you do over at St. Francis. Thank you, Tony. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Great. And we're going to take a short break now. I want to give you the phone numbers again. We're going to take questions during this whole second half of the show at 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. And now a WTIC news update. It's 1130, Hartford temperature 47 degrees. Good after or good morning. I'm John Silva, WTIC 1080 News. Sunshine, some clouds on the chilly side today. Brian Thompson's in with the forecast details coming up. New York City schools will remain shut for the rest of the academic year. Mayor Bill de Blasio. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and we're opening up the line for questions. Uh, just a couple of comments, uh, just so we get the lay of the land. Uh, you know, if you're a sports enthusiast, you, you want to get some idea of what we're up against. And right now, it's, it's clear that what has been explained to us are the three things we need to do, right? Identification of who has the virus, isolation, contact tracing, three things that have been consistent. But let's look at this. So right now, okay, we have... No system for widespread identification. We haven't been able to do enough testing to know who has the virus. We have no system for contact tracing. We have no therapy for the virus to treat it. We have no vaccine and no herd immunity. So when people tell you 
the virus is in control. It's pretty much clear that that's the case. The virus has the upper hand right now. Now, we will defeat this. We will get those things. But the question is when. And we're starting to work on that. And that was a great discussion with Dr. Dulip Singh at St. Francis. So what we're trying to do is follow through this to see how we get to that point where we finally have the upper hand with this virus. With that, I want to grab Dan's question. Uh, Dan from Hartford, you had a question. Hi, here's my question. Dr. Dr. Lesio? Yeah. Thank you for this wonderful service that you're providing. My question is how the C virus is spread. It's prompted by an article in the Wall Street Journal about a month ago by um, someone who's identified as a professor of biology and anatomy. I don't know if he's an MD or not. And he says, um, and this is about viruses in general, not necessarily the C virus specifically. Viruses are carried to their unwilling hosts by insects, droplets in the air, contact with infected services, and other mechanisms that bring the cells of different species together. My question is, can the C virus be spread by droplets in the air, and what are the other mechanisms for spreading it? We know about, I know about the, the, the six-foot rule. That I understand. But is there anything else um, that you can tell us about? Great question, Dan. Thank you very much. Uh, so how are these viruses spread? So viruses are spread by a lot of different ways. And actually, that's one of the questions that's come up repeatedly uh, on uh, info at lscmd.com. Uh, and people who have gotten in touch with me, specifically with respect to food. So we know that the coronavirus is transmitted by respiration, respiratory droplets, uh, much like measles. Other viruses are transmitted through foodborne problems. So the norovirus, we always hear about that, especially on cruise ships uh, where they'll have an outbreak of norovirus. Those viruses produce intense nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea, severe dehydration. So rather than causing pneumonia or a respiratory problem, the noroviruses themselves and that category of virus produce GI symptoms. So in this case, you have contact with the virus. Either it was spread directly to you via airborne, an airborne th uh, mechanism, and that's why we try to keep six feet apart. And that's why we're starting to wear masks. We're wearing masks so that if someone does have the virus and may be asymptomatic, these are, that's another key word, asymptomatic carrier, somebody who doesn't have symptoms but is shedding the virus. Could be any of us. And that's why we're starting to wear masks. I'm wearing a mask when I'm out and about, when I leave my home. Because I don't know if I have the virus or not. I've not been able to get tested. Am I around patients? Yeah, I'm around patients. I haven't been around COVID-19 patients. So the question becomes, can someone without symptoms be spreading the virus? So that's why of the three things, identification, isolation, contact tracing, we only have one of those, isolation. Stay in your house or stay six feet apart. That's the only weapon we have in our armamentarium right now to defeat this and avoid and, and actually slow these significant death tolls that we're seeing around the country. So the other way is the virus can live for a period of time without a host, meaning on a surface. 
And we've looked at that in terms of the surfaces. So we know that it lasts for about three hours in the air. On a copper surface, about four hours. On cardboard, 24 hours. And on plastic, it could be two or three days. Some people are saying even more than that. So we're wiping things down in our house. If you're getting deliveries, you're leaving them in your garage for a while. So we're trying to do our best to, again, isolate ourselves from the virus. So those are the key things that we can do right now. Until we get a vaccine, until we achieve herd immunity or have some therapy for this. So a lot of people have talked about the vaccine, and I think that's an interesting topic. Because vaccines, I've said time and again, are the most significant advancement in, in medicine in modern times, vaccines. But when people tell you we're going to have a vaccine soon for this problem, they really have to define soon. I don't see any way a vaccine is going to be available in less than a year. And I think the people who have volunteered already for these vaccine trials are among the real heroes here because vaccine trials put can put people at risk until we know it's safe. We don't know the dose of the vaccine to give people. Can it give them the disease and make them worse? Yes, it can. So these 40 or 45 people who stepped forward first are really very brave. We will have a vaccine for this. Um, and we're learning new ways to put vaccines together. One thing I recently read is something the Gates Foundation has put together. They've been working in the field of infectious disease and public health for many years. As you know, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates have devoted a lot of money to developing vaccines worldwide. And they have a plan that has been developed where they develop a, a basic structure for a vaccine that gets FDA approved. And then you just add onto it as new viruses develop. So the best analogy I could think of, it's like a car chassis, right? We all know General Motors produces a single chassis and changes a few things on that chassis to either make it a, a Buick, a, a Chevrolet, or a Cadillac. But it's the same basic chassis that they build off of. So the Gates Foundation has worked on building a chassis for different viruses, most recently the SARS virus, so that they have a chassis, a basic structure that gets approved by the Food and Drug Administration, so that when a new virus develops, they just need to add three or four options onto that chassis that will then need to be approved. That is the future of developing vaccines. In the past, fastest vaccine that's been developed, I didn't know this until recently, was mumps. The mumps vaccine was the fastest vaccine to be developed, and that took four years. Four years. We don't have four years for coronavirus. So that's why when people are telling us a year, that's a spectacular number if it can be accomplished. And it's going to be key for us to accomplish herd immunity and make everyone much safer. 
with that, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back taking more questions. And I want to go over some of the questions that have been coming in on info at alessimd.com. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. In this final segment, we're taking uh, questions. So we have uh, Carm from Southington is on the line with a question. Carm, if you have a question. Hello, Carm. Are you there? Hello. Hi. This is Dr. Alessi. You had a question. Oh, yes. I'd like to know if uh, temperature um, has an effect of killing the virus. Like, say you put a package in your garage and it's uh, 40 degrees out there. Does it take longer to kill the virus? Okay. We're going to disconnect, and that's a great question. So... If does temperature have any relation into killing the virus? Well, we know that, yes, when we're washing our clothes, we're trying to wash in warm water and things such as that. Now, when you put a package in your garage, temperature doesn't really make a difference. The reason being that it's not on a living host. So it's still going to take a certain amount of time for the virus to be killed. So we've not found that temperature has an effect. I thought you were actually going to ask about ambient temperature because people have said early on, soon we're going to have warm weather and it's going to wash the virus through. And we already know that that's not the case. Although so far we haven't seen huge spikes in places where there's warm climate, it's certainly been effective. When we look at Florida, uh, Arizona, California, they certainly had their share of this. The other thing we know is that countries in the southern hemisphere are now starting to get ready for winter, and they're starting to see a spike in the coronavirus. So with respect to ambient temperature, we can expect another spike probably in the fall when things get cold again. But, Carm, thank you, and uh, that's a great question. Uh, Rich, you have a question. Rich, are you there? Remedy for COVID-19, yeah, I'm sure you meant to say, and, I, and I'm sure you would agree, that if someone has the symptoms and they're unable to get tested, but they're pretty sure they, they have it, uh, 80% of the time or even more, it, it self-remedies and you get over it. If you stay home and eat chicken soup and use a vaporizer, stay away from other people, and, and 80% of the time you're going to get better. So you didn't mean to, uh, to skip over that point, right? No, absolutely. I don't think I skipped over it, but um, well, when I, mean, I went through the different things, so when... I think it um, needs to be pointed out. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. All right. Uh, we're, okay. Yeah. So let me go over that again. Uh, Rich is absolutely right. 80% of the time, the way to get better is to isolate yourself. But again, when I talk about treatment, I'm talking about an effective treatment. And uh, in terms of taking medication or something of that nature. Yes, 80% of the time, staying home is going to help. That's something we do know. Obviously, there are many cases where you have to go to the hospital. And the reason I brought that up, uh, Rich, and I guess where there's a little bit of a disconnect is, there are people out there saying that there are treatments for this problem. Most notably, the talk of chloroquine, hydrochloroquine, azithromycin. 
We don't know that any of those things work. And the reason we don't know is because we have not done controlled studies, the so-called controlled double-blind studies. When you hear that term, basically a controlled double-blind study is when a person has an illness and they become randomized either to get the active medication, in this case, say, hydrochloroquine, or they're going to get a placebo. The patient doesn't know what they're getting, and neither does the doctor administering it. So if someone entered the study, they have a 50% chance of getting the active medication and a 50% chance they're going to get placebo. So you compare the two groups, the people who got placebo, the control group, and those who got the medication, to see if there was a significant difference in how they got better. And again, with hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine, we need to look at it. Is it more effective in people with mild disease, moderate disease, or severe disease? That's the only way we're going to know if it works. So people just going out there and taking the medication and saying, hey, I got better, so it works, to Rich's point, they would have probably gotten better with chicken soup. In fact, many people have said, who have had the problem, interesting, that one of the few things that made them feel much better was chicken soup. So with that, it impresses the need for us to do these controlled studies. So we will know going forward if certain medications or combinations of medications work. If we don't do it that way, we will never know. And we need to find that out. The good news is people have said that these studies will take years. They will not. And the reason is when you do these studies, often you don't have very many people who actually have the disease. Well, I think it's evident to all of us, we've got a lot of subjects who are willing to take a shot at getting better. And with that, you can have the answer in a very short period of time, probably in a few months if this is done properly. And it is being done properly at certain hospitals right now. Uh, they are going forward with that. But there's no substitute right now for the only thing we could do. When I say we have no vaccine, no immunity, no therapeutics, the only thing we have is isolation. And you could see that in the countries where they have been able to isolate and had adequate isolation, they're getting back. They're starting to open up again. A mistake would be to start opening up before you know that it's safe. And that's important because otherwise they're predicting we could see another spike of this going on. One of the questions I've been getting uh, online has been uh, regarding cleaning products. People have asked about what cleaning products are most effective for this. You can go to the CDC website and see that, but really soap and water, um, any of the disinfectant uh, products are good. Some people have just used some plain vinegar, okay, which works also very well. So when you're trying to clean, if you don't have access to these more formal cleaning products, either they've been sold out, there are a lot of different ways of using home remedies for that. Uh, one question I had is, if you need to go into the hospital, even for not for coronavirus, how do you prepare? And basically understand 
that you're not going to be able to have visitors in the hospital, even if you don't have coronavirus. So be prepared. Bring something, phone, iPad, charger, and things such as that. In closing today, I want to talk a little bit about uh, one of the questions I got from Joel online was uh, a comment and really stating that, you know, our healthcare system has really not been ready for this. One an, a letter that came out from UConn President Tom Katsoulis, uh his letter actually cited something that happened in the 17th century. And basically, when the bubonic plague swept across Europe in 1665 and 66, Professor Isaac Newton was forced to retreat the country from Cambridge University. So he went out to the country in his isolation there. He developed his most famous scientific contributions in 1666. He discovered calculus, motion, optics, and gravity. It became known as Newton's Annus Mirabilis, his wonderful year. What I'm bringing this up for is we all need to start rethinking how we're going to change things. I have no doubt that this coronavirus is going to be discussed for many years worldwide as a case study of what not to do in a pandemic. But we can't do anything about that. We're going to leave that to politicians and academics to discuss. But looking forward, there are going to be many things that we need to do differently and better. And I think that in this time, we need to start thinking about how we're going to change to make things better for generations to come. With that, I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank Mike Oko, who's been on the board, and Jeff Chandler, who's in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. And with that, I want to wish you all a happy and pleasant Easter tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.